Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. I hope you all have had a great day and good to have everyone out and especially our visitors. We are so thankful that you have come our way and that uh, I hope this service is encouraging to you. If you have any questions or concerns, you may approach me after services or one of the men and we would love to sit down and talk with you and even open up our Bibles and study with you. Uh, If you haven't already, I'd invite you to take your sermon outlines out, and as you're doing that, uh, take your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. This is the final lesson that I have prepared for the, the talk and the discussion over the principle and the idea of uh, shepherding or the eldership as we finalize uh, the final things, if you will. We've studied through Titus. We did Bible studies through Titus. We did Bible studies through First and Second Timothy. I've preached on the qualification of elders. Uh, it was sometime last year. I didn't look up the dates, but I have preached on it. Began to really hone in on it near the end of the year. Preached on it several times this year with this being the final lesson. And then everything will kind of be left up to everyone else afterwards. I'm not going to harp. We're just going to kind of sit back, meditate on it, and think about these things so that we can prepare, Lord willing, the congregation for the possibility of ordaining and appointing elders. You know... So today, the title is Appointing Elders. Now, we're not appointing elders today. So don't, don't misunderstand, don't misconstrue the title. That's not the gist. But the gist is to think about what goes into the appointing of elders. Do we have a design blueprint where we see what specifically transpired what took place in the New Testament. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And so the first three uh, contexts here, Acts chapter 14, verse 19 through 23, which we'll read in just a moment, Acts chapter 20, and Titus chapter 1 are the only passages that I recall seeing the appointment of elders. And so I want us to look over these things have a brief discussion, and then we will look at some general guidelines, some general principles that I believe are wise and good to consider in the idea and the possibility of appointing elders. And so let's look here, Acts chapter 14, and let's start at verse 19. Acts 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium... And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, 
Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. And so we see here when they appointed elders for them in every church. And this is a proof text that we utilize to understand that the churches in the New Testament, they had that expectation to have to raise up and train men. And we've talked about that in our previous sermons and even in our Bible studies. That is something that it, it's work. It takes time. It takes effort. It's, it's diligent work. It's not just something that you wake up one day and say, okay, well, we want elders and so bam. Right? We just snap our fingers and all of a sudden we've appointed men, haven't considered the man, haven't considered whether or not he's ready and willing, all of those types of things. But it is a process that all of the churches in the New Testament went through and were expected to go through. That's what they did. This was part of the work. And so then we have Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We see here... Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now, however, the question remains, how did the Holy Spirit make these men overseers? Now, we know that in the first century that they had miraculous powers. They had those those abilities to speak in tongues, to prophesy, to heal, to do all of these things. And so how the Holy Spirit went about making them overseers, I can't tell you because we're not specifically told how. We're just saying, we just see here, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, does the Holy Spirit still work today? Absolutely, He still works today. But does He work in the same measure, in the same light as He did in the first century? No, that's, that's why we have to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, we don't have the gifts of tongues. We don't have the gifts of prophecy. We don't have the gifts of healing anymore. All of those miraculous spiritual gifts, they were done away with. And I would reference you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in that context because it talks about when that which is perfect is come, then the partial would be done away. But... We are told, if you go over to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3, we're told, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory, and excellence. So we have everything through the Holy Spirit's work, everything that pertains to life and godliness. He gives us the knowledge and the know-how. And this is how the Holy Spirit still works through us today. We also have over in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, where we have all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then let's turn to one more context. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll get back to the sermon outline.
Ephesians chapter 4, and let's start at, oh, verse 7. Let's start at verse 7. We see here, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts... To men. And so this is in reference to this first century. I believe this is how we answer Acts 20. Now this expression, he ascended, what does, it, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who had descended is himself, also he was ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he... Gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. You see, so the Holy Spirit's work, even today, keeps us from doing what? Oh, this doctrine sounds good over here. I I think we need to follow this over here for, for right now. Oh, but this sounds really good. Let's go over here. Let's go over to the other side of the equation. Let's start believing in that for right here and right now. And what he's explaining is is that this miraculous work is going to establish a, a streamline. It's going to establish a pattern in which we can follow. Even those after the miraculous gifts have ceased, they can follow this pattern and they can do the same things that the church was accomplishing in the first century. <clears throat> so carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And then we have Titus chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. <clears throat> Titus chapter 1 is very similar and equivalent to what we have in Acts chapter 14. Titus chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, we see, To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus our Savior, for this reason, for this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. 
And so we can see the similarities there from Acts 14 where it says when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Well, the they there, if you read the context and you go back and you look at starting at verse 19, we see Paul being introduced, but then we see uh, Barnabas being introduced. And so it's, it's a good conclusion. I believe it's a necessary conclusion to, to believe that the they there is Paul and Barnabas. They were appointing elders in every church. Titus, being an evangelist, being a young man, he was also directed to appoint elders for this reason. You would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. So what is the scriptural procedure for a congregation to appoint elders? You know, we... We stand by the premise of let's speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible silent. We want to provide a book, chapter, and verse foundation for all that we do. And it's not that we worship the Bible, but that we read the Bible, we study it. So then our faith comes by hearing, hearing through the Word of God so that we can understand what it is that God desires and what He wants us to do. Because again, there's... This, this teaching that God's grace just allows us to, to just run roughshod and do whatever we want in our lives, that's baloney. God clearly has standards. He clearly has a pattern that He wants us to follow. And yes, He does give grace and He gives us greater grace. But that doesn't mean that we get to go out and just redesign the ark. We don't get to do that. We don't get to go out and redesign and repurpose what we think the church ought to be doing. Because I preached on the work of the church last Sunday evening. What is the real business of the church and even us as Christians? We don't get to redesign that. We don't get to rewrite history as they're trying to do in schools, unfortunately. History is history, folks. The truth is the truth. And we need to stand by it and abide in the truth. So, what is the scriptural procedure? We know that the local church is authorized to appoint elders. It's a pattern. And this is where some people struggle. This is where contentions and strife and disagreements and difficulties arise. And this is when we really have to Put the rubber to the road, if you will. We have to see who's willing to really look at, study, be diligent, rightly divide God's Word. We don't have an exclusive pattern. At best, we see that Barnabas and Paul appointed elders and that Titus did. So we know evangelists have something to do with it. Now, do I think all roads point through the evangelist? Absolutely not. Don't put that juju on me. <laughs> it does not run. Everything does not run through me. We do not do a one pastor system. That's not how this goes. I believe we have general principles that we can look at in the New Testament and we can see that there are things that we all need to consider that needs to transpire and take place in our selection and appointment of good, godly men to lead, to feed, to protect, to oversee, to provide oversight. 
to be examples for us as disciples in Christ. We do have guiding principles that would help us when we're ready to appoint and proceed in appointing elders. So, <clears throat> let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're already almost done with the lesson, folks. <laughs> this might be one of my shortest sermons ever. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and drop down to verse 17. Again, guiding principles. This is what we need to think about in preparation, even after the fact. This is still a guiding principle for elders that are ruling, by the way. <clears throat> But we see here in verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And those who continue in sin, he's referencing those elders, if there is two or three witnesses, and that accusation is in fact true, if they continue in sin, that's what, Timothy, that's what Paul's saying here, those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, because even elders are to be held accountable for their actions and their behaviors and their disposition, their leadership, if you will. Rebuking the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. So this goes to the, to the thought that God's no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're just a disciple. He doesn't care if you're only, if you're just a deacon. He doesn't care if you're even, if you're an elder. You need to be accountable for your actions. And you can still be rebuked. Because there's some men who get up there and they put on that title, elder, shepherd, bishop, whatever you want to call them, <clears throat> and they believe that they're untouchable. And that's simply not true. They conveniently overlook this passage, rebuking the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. Then he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles Without bias. So no respecter of persons. No partiality. Doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Now look at verse 22. Verse 22 is the principle that I believe needs to be taken into consideration. Not only by the evangelist, but also by the congregation. By the sheep, if you will. Do not lay hands on anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Now, do I believe that this is a directive clearly to the evangelist? Absolutely I do. But I do believe that the principle still remains true even for the rest of the sheep. Just as I would tell you that when it comes to the qualifications of elders, we've studied them, we're not going to go over them this morning. That everybody should strive 
for those qualifications to be true for yourselves and your lives. Should you be hospitable? Absolutely. Should you be patient? Yes. Should you be kind? Yeah. Not given to much wine? Absolutely. Or not addicted to wine? Think about that. Blameless. Should you be blameless? Yep. Every one of those qualifications are things that we as Christians should strive to fulfill in our own lives. The only ones that's not ultimately necessary is the idea of being the husband of one wife. Okay, for men, you don't have to get married, but it's just if you don't get married, if you're not the husband, you can't be an elder. Okay? And obviously the elder also has to, he has to have children. So even if you're married, but you decide not to have children, you just, you can't be an elder. You're not qualified. You don't have children. And at that, it says faithful children. So again, not going over the qualifications because those are basically the only ones that you don't have to have as a Christian. You don't have to get married. Paul wasn't married and he was faithful. You don't have to be married and have children in order to be faithful to God. But all of the other qualifications we have to have, we have to have those in our lives. And so I believe this, this guiding principle here is true not only for the, the evangelist because he's telling Timothy... Don't approve of these people too hastily. Don't lay your hands on them too quickly. You don't know the man. You don't know his background. You don't know his teaching. You don't know his disposition. You don't know anything. You're just going to lay your hands on him. You're going to approve him as a messenger of God. You're going to approve him as an evangelist. You're going to approve him as an elder. He says, don't do that. Don't be hasty in this, because if you do, and he turns out to be a wolf in sheep's clothing, what have you done? You've caused more harm than good. And so I still believe that this is a general good guiding principle for congregations to consider, because the next principle, you'll, you'll see it all line out. That the congregation needs to really think about. Who they are appointing. We don't appoint men just for the sake of appointing men. They need to be good, godly men who are good examples, who are willing to teach, who are willing to rebuke, even in the times of difficulty. Congregations need these kinds of men to step up and to fulfill these roles. And then not only that, because I don't want to put the pressure on just the men who are being considered, but us younger men, myself, I'll throw myself under the bus just for a moment. Just hear me out. Because I know I'm not qualified. I'm not old enough for A. My children are not old enough B. So that's separate and apart. But I desire to be an elder. I desire to be a shepherd right here, right now. I would love to in time. And so we need to prepare ourselves. We need to train up our men to be prospective elders. We want them to desire that work so that the work of the church and the work of the Lord continues faithfully and in good standing. And that there's order. And that there's not just massive chaos. Now, I'm not saying that there's massive chaos here. That's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm just saying, if we're not putting in the time and the effort and the diligence into preparing ourselves for this work, for this office that is absolutely necessary, then we're failing as Christians. And it's part of the work of the congregation to come together and to help train these men, build them up. Look at the, the aspects of the lives where they, where they may be struggling in some areas and, and let's try to help them grow so they can be stronger and better spiritual leaders, not just for, their, not just for the church here, but look about for the families of their homes. We need to do this for the church, for our home, for our families, and for ultimately ourselves. And then let's look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, well, well, preacher, this is talking about deacons. And I agree. But I do believe there's still some guiding principles here that are wise and that we would do well to look at them and consider them. Because, again, we don't have the blueprint where it says, this is what took place when we appointed elders. We don't have that verbatim word for word. So let's consider... What the text says. So we've looked at what Paul says to Timothy. Don't be too hasty about it. So I believe we as a congregation, we don't need to be hasty about it. This has been going on for longer than a year. I would, I would say this hasn't been a hasty process. This is one that has been weighing on me. I don't want to say weighing on me. That's not the best way to describe it. But... It's been something that I have been slowly working on. It's kind of like you know one of those things that you cook on the stovetop all day long. You go over to it every now and then, and you stir it to make sure that nothing's sticking on the bottom and everything. You know, those are the really good meals because you know a lot of time and effort and love was put into it. That's how I'd like to describe it for you. I've been trying to think about it and put in time and effort and love and care for this congregation to try to prepare us for this next step. So let's look here at Acts chapter 6. So obviously they were having issues here. Uh, Widows, especially, they were being neglected. And so that's what we're going to read about. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. So this was a congregational matter. They were going to appoint men to take on this work. The, the, the twelve, so the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you. Select from among you. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. I want you to think about it. Now I'm basing this off my memory, so you can correct me if I'm wrong after services. (laughs) But the first time that elders are mentioned that I recall in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 11 verse 30. 
where you have the elders in Jerusalem receiving, it was put in their charge, the gift that Paul and Barnabas was going to take because there was a famine under the reign of Claudius Caesar. And so there was a great need that arise, and so members of the body of Christ had put together a gift to take to the church at Jerusalem a gift, things that they needed, things that were necessary for their lives. And it says that it was given to the elders there at Jerusalem. But we're not told how they were appointed. So I just want you to think about that. We know that churches had elders. We're just not told exactly how they were appointed, you see. So we see here with the appointment of these deacons, of these men who's going to take on this this physical role of taking care of widows in the church. Therefore, brethren, select from among you, you see, but we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the Word, and the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Because this is right. The congregation needs to be able to know and to trust who it is that they are having serve them and work with them. Because this is a good principle to follow. And so excuse me on the pronunciation of some of these names. I've never been good with names. But they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, or Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And I recently preached on that not too long ago. And these they brought, the congregation brought these men to the apostles. These they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So, what is the scriptural procedure for a congregation to appoint elders? I still can't tell you a procedure (laughs) verbatim. The best answer is I don't know. I have guiding principles of things that I think are wise and things that are good. And I hope you do too. And I hope you see the wisdom in some of these principles and the guidance that we have through the work of the Holy Spirit. So what we see, we see evangelists putting their feet to the ground and going to work. We see that somehow, in some instance, they are an integral part of getting men appointed as elders, as shepherds, bishops, overseers. And we have principle that this is not to be done hastily. But time, concern, love, patience is utilized to make sure that we are not appointing someone who has no business being appointed. And don't misunderstand me. A man that's appointed can still be disappointed. I know that's a play on words, but the reality is is if a man's appointed as an elder and the congregation is just not following him. 
because he's just not an effective leader, that speaks volumes. But if you as the congregation, you come together, and we've already started this process, y'all. You guys have, there's been tons of y'all that's put in names. And the majority of y'all put in the same names of the same men. You all seem to have a level head about it. You know, you recognize the men who ought to be recognized and trusted and looked upon as good godly examples for us to to look at and lead this congregation to help us in our in our joyous times you know we don't seem to need as much help when things are going smoothly but in those difficult times when we're having those moments of the crises of faith and the difficulties where life is just the pendulum is swinging back and forth and there's just it just seems to be chaos And you recognize that these are the men that you want to be able to lean lean upon and help guide you through those difficulties. You're on the right track. The congregation, they selected from among themselves men who would be able to serve the widows in their time of need. I see no reason to not consider that guidance, that general principle for us in the selection of Men who are qualified to be God in preparation. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing the song, Is Thy Heart Right with God, in preparation for uh, the invitation to give anyone the opportunity to be able to respond to the gospel call. And I know this morning I preached on the idea of appointing elders, so it's like, okay, how do you make the the connection between a sermon on appointing elders and thinking about that type of design and the blueprints of that versus obeying the gospel because, see, that's what elders would want you to do. They would want you to submit your life to Christ. They would want you to crucify the deeds of the flesh in your life, come and die in Christ through the watery grave of baptism. Repent of your sins, confess Jesus as the Christ, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, to have your sins washed away and remembered no more. That's the connection. And I believe the men that would be considered from from among our group would say the same thing. So if you're here this morning and you need to respond to the gospel call, in baptism. Or maybe you've done that and you've, you've strayed away. Kind of like the prodigal son. You've walked away. You've left. But now you're, you're coming back. You recognize that the life that you went on to, to, to live was not what you thought it would be. And you're ready to reconcile yourself back to God. We want to encourage you this morning. Be reconciled back to God. We'll pray for you, and we'll pray with you. If you're subject to our public invitation, please, won't you come forward together as we stand and sing the invitation song.